All right, friends, let's say a prayer and get, uh, get rolling here. Lord Jesus Christ, bless us as we study your word. Send us your Holy Spirit that we might have ears to hear the promises that you've made to us through your death and resurrection. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so do you have any questions? What are your questions? What are your questions? You know everything already, huh? That's what my dad used to say. I, it always irritated me when he said it to me, too. So I'm very sorry for doing that to you just now. <laughs> um, so we're, in, we're beginning Mark chapter 5. But we should first, we're going to do a couple things. First, we should talk a little bit about how we got here. And I always find it helpful to um, think about, to, to divide up what's happened so far. And, and we'll pick an arbitrary number of sections. Maybe, so let's say, let's do, let's, we need five main points um, of what's happened so far in Mark. If you were going to do this, uh, what would you say? Start with the beginning. What's the, what's, what happens at the beginning of Mark? So we get Jesus getting baptized. Can you generalize that a little bit more? What? The beginning of his ministry. Yeah, that's good. Let's say that. Yeah, beginning of ministry. And you remember this, how this happens. It's very quick. Um, we're just sort of thrust into it. We're like, we're, we hit the ground running with Jesus, okay? Uh, now, number, take, go to number five. What's, what's the last, what are, what are the last things that have happened so far? Think about chapter four, the last several weeks. What's leading up to chapter five? Yeah, the parables. Okay, the parables. Yeah, that's good. That's absolutely right. And what's, you know, this is unique because um, to this point, there hasn't been a lot of teaching been a lot of action, but then we get this parables. And now, well, this is really a, a crucial question. What is the point of the parables? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. They're illustrating the kingdom of God. And what do we learn about the kingdom of God in the parables? If you're going to summarize that. I mean, we learn lots of specific things, but what's the... It's not very small. It's not very. It's not very. It starts very small. Is that what you said, or it's not very small? No, it starts. It starts small. Okay. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Okay. So starts small. It's for everybody. What else? What's work to do? There's work to do. Okay. Good. Meaning is hidden. Its meaning is hidden. Good. There's the mystery of the kingdom of God. Um, I'm, you might put it this way. This is how I'd say it. Um, the kingdom of God is is unexpected in all these ways, right? So, for instance, that it starts small as a mustard seed and that it grows, that it's for everybody, right? That's terribly unexpected. Um, that there's work to do. What's interesting about the fact that there's work to do is that the work is often counterintuitive, right? The work that's to be done is often counterintuitive, like sowing seed on, in places where it's not going to grow. Okay, so the kingdom of God is not what you expect. Good. Fill in the middle now. What, two, three, and four. What other things happen between chapter one and chapter four? What do you got? He calls the disciples. So we learn a bunch about discipleship. I'm going to put that right in the middle here. Discipleship. Good. A lot of healing. A lot of healing, yeah. Um, healing, miracles. What's the point of all these miracles? And Okay. What, uh, teaching and healing. What is, what's being demonstrated? Okay. Oh, good. You're nailing everything. So compassion and power. Um, so what we're finding out is that Jesus is the Christ. 
Okay, so we're learning that Jesus is the Christ. This is what we learn. Um, but what happens along the way? What's the consequence of revealing who he is? Surely. It also, Mark also points out that Christ is also human and divine. That's, that's right. So we start at the very beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? Um, but along the way, we see his humanity expressed in his, you know, his compassion, the fact that he feels things, right, and he's moved um, along the way. Good. He's angry and Yeah, so we have this, ex- this accelerating conflict, okay, which is also, you know, uh, exemplifies what's sort of strange about the kingdom of God, is that um, for the people, the people who, you know, should be most prepared for the Messiah to come, it is actually very, very upsetting. It's not what they wanted, right? Uh, is there anything that we get in between discipleship and the parables? I don't know if, I don't know if we really need a number four, do we? What, is there anything we're missing? Let's just erase number four. How's that sound? It's like we meant to do that. Good. Okay, so now this leads us into chapter 5. All right, so now what you should expect from chapter 5. So we've got, we've got this picture of Jesus coming and proclaiming the kingdom of God, uh, d- showing that he is the Messiah. Um, everybody, the, the, the authorities are uh, upset by this, especially because he is um, violating their traditions um, and justifiably so, right? They, can't, they have no argument against him because he says, I mean, the, the, the nail in the coffin is when he says, is it better? Is it is it lawful to do good or to do evil? To give life or to kill? Right? Um, and then they then they um, they take up counsel against him. Remember the accusation that the the authorities have against Jesus. They when he exercises the demon, what do they say about him? He has a demon. It's by the prince of demons that this one casts out demons. Right? What's Jesus's response to that accusation? The king would destroy them himself. Yeah, a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? And then he gives you this parable about the strong man, right? So if you want to come into a house and, and take over the house, steal the goods, what do you have to do first? You have to tie up the strong man who's in the house before you can plunder his goods. And this is what Jesus is doing with the demons, okay? Now, he then goes for, forward and as he tells us the parable, especially the parable of the sower and describes the kingdom of God, we find out how, how unexpected it is. Chapter f- 5 is going to give us two uh, really broad pictures in his actions that illustrate the parables, okay? So we've, we've been speeding along, and we get to chapter 4, and we pause, and he teaches us something. And then we get to chapter 5, and we have these two really long, suddenly very long and detailed episodes where he does something um, that, that ties together everything that, he's, everything that we've seen before, okay? Tracking? Here's what we're going to do first. We're going to watch Alec McGowan deliver chapter 5 for us, okay? You have the ESV in front of you. He's doing King James Version. Here we go. You ready, Mary? Okay. All right. That's, I could listen to, we, could, well, we should just listen to the whole thing at one point. I mean, because it's really, it's, I think it's fun to listen to. Um, what, tell me what you think. Tell me your impressions. What do you notice? What stands out? He was in demand. <laughs> Jesus was in demand. That's right. In fact, take a look. Just to put things in perspective, I give you these maps on the very last page. This is helpful to sort of gain some perspective on what Jesus is doing, his travels. So you've got that. To go to the, the 
3D map, and you can see some of the really uh, the names that you know well, like Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And so he he will cross the sea in a boat. And here is there's a little uncertainty about where the Gadarene demoniac is, but he crosses the sea, casts out the demon, and then comes back on the other side of the sea. And people are you know, coming to, as soon as he lands, as soon as he lands on the other side, there's the, there's Jairus asking for his, asking for help with his daughter, right? Um, he gets into the boat so often because he, he's, the people are pressing on him. So he's in demand. That's right. What else do you notice? Is there anything about these two stories, three stories, really, that stands out to you that's puzzling? Anything that doesn't make sense? Kathy? I uh, tell Jairus' people who had seen this miracle not to say anything. Yeah. And he tells the man he delivered from the demons to go back and tell everybody what happened. So it's That is puzzling. So now here's here's an important difference between these two stories. So as soon as Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee, you can see it um, up here on the, the top map, which you have to turn to the side. So here he is, when he crosses over into the region of the Decapolis, he is in Gentile territory. How do we, there are all kinds of clues as to how we know it's Gentile territory. How do we know that? There's 2,000 pigs right there, right? Big clue, we're in Gentile territory. So, you know, what, what's interesting, though, is then, so you, you end the story of the, the Gadarene demoniac with this command to go and tell everybody what Jesus had done for him, how much Jesus had done for him. So that turns this fellow into the first Gentile missionary, really. I mean, before, before uh, Peter and Paul have a chance to sort out what's going to happen with the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Um, so, you know, Jesus, Jesus is so often talking about, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? And when he interacts with the Gentiles, like take, for instance, the Syrophoenician woman. You remember this story we were just talking about it earlier, how she comes to Jesus begging that he will heal her daughter. And he says to her, it is not good that you give, uh, it is not good that, how does, what, how does he say it? That you, that's, what, that's how she replies, right? It's not good to give to the dogs, the children's bread to the dogs. There you go. And she replies in this startling way, holding him to the fact that um, he's there for all people. And so he sort of seemingly sort of, you know, as a concession, heals the Gentile daughter, right? And then, of course, in Mark, we are constantly astounded when, when the Gentiles in particular confess Jesus to be. So like the centurion at the foot of the cross, the last person who you expect to confirm that he's the son of God, when he does that, it is, it's this marvelous thing, okay? So... So back to your question, or your observation, Kathy, he's, he's in a different setting when he's healing the demoniac, right? And these people are perhaps not as keen to crucify him, not as keen to kill him. But nonetheless, what do they, what's, what's their reaction when he heals this fella? Please leave. Why do they want him to leave? <laughs> so now, I, I, I think that that's part of it. But look at the order. Look at the order that this happens. So take a look. Verse... Um, the herdsmen fled and told, verse 14, fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Okay, so they see him, they see the man healed of the demon, and they are afraid. Then they hear that what happened, how the story went down, and they say, please leave, right? 
So I think it's noteworthy that they're, they're afraid before even they know about the pigs. The pigs are a good reason to get rid of him, right? 2,000 pigs. I was trying to put this in perspective. Anybody have any familiar with hog farming? Anybody? No? You know something about hog farming? How many, how many you take, a, take like the biggest hog building that you see if you're driving out in the country in Indiana. How many hogs can you fit in there? Do you know? My parents have one that goes about 2,500. 2,500. Okay. So this is contemporary high, you know, high production hog farm. 2,500 hogs. That's a lot of, that's a lot of pigs, right? So, you, so, I mean, so try and put it in perspective. I was trying to think of, you know, what it might be like. If you, if you, so Jesus comes along and he does this wonderful thing, heals this man, and this man who you've taken for granted that he is, he's a lost cause, right? He's living among the tombs. He is out of his mind. Um, there's this interesting, if you try and picture, picture the scenario before Jesus comes along. You've got this, this city, this village, and out in the, living in the tombs is this fella, right? You know, it's, it's such a striking thing. What, the good that it does or how it, how it helps a community to cohere if you have somebody out there who is the one who's afflicted with demons, right? You can blame everything on him, right? Um, he, he's clearly the outsider. We are the insiders, um, he is clearly out of his mind. Whatever you've got going on, at least just not as bad as that guy, right? Um, so Jesus comes along, and, they, and he's, he sort of upsets the apple cart in every sense possible, right? He does this thing that they've taken to be impossible, and he sets this man who they've, ta- who they've completely discounted, he sets him clothed in his right mind, and then he burns down their house on top of it. He destroys, you know, he empties their 401k, right? Um, I mean, it is as bad as that. I mean, it is as devastating as that. And so you say, um, whatever, you know, whatever good he did for this demoniac, it is not worth it, right, for us to lose our livelihood. Um, uh, It was better, in fact, better when he had, was possessed by demons, probably. It was better for us when we had this guy sitting, living out in the, in the tombs. Okay, Tell me what else you notice. Krista. I just, I just only was thinking, you know, even, even the worst, perhaps the worst murderer, Jesus would have compassion. That's right. And in fact, so, so, so back to the, you know, the, the note about what happens in this different country, right? Here's this, this uh, person who is least likely to believe and follow Jesus. Then there's a whole bunch of other people who are sort of neutral, you know? Their lives are going okay. They got nothing. They don't. At least they're not possessed by demons. This fellow who um, is least likely, who is who, whose life is completely upside down, right? In every way, he's so he's he's living among the tombs. He's as as a dead person, right? Um, he is uh, completely un, outside of anybody's authority, right? They can't they can't contain him at all. He's completely gone haywire. He's an anarchist. Um, Jesus cures him. He believes in Jesus and is willing to follow Jesus. Everybody else is unwilling. Okay? Everybody else, the people who are perhaps more likely, the people who uh, have an easier, who, have, you know, who, who haven't suffered nearly as much, they're the ones who don't follow Jesus or are unwilling to follow Jesus. It's almost a parable in reverse. How's that? Well, think of parables as trying to illustrate something that we don't understand. Yeah. 
this is illustrating like you got a little tiny seed what's it gonna do yep hide it and it comes to this beautiful thing that's right or you know, some some of the other ones i mean who else yeah again it's unexpected that's right and even with the don't hide your lamp under a bushel no yep that's right and, and so here's here's a light that lamp so you could say of these people who um, see Jesus perform this miracle and hear what the, the demoniac says, all of the good that Jesus has done for him. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, right? That, I mean, this is one of the great myths. We've been talking, we talked about this just a little bit yesterday because um, one, one of the big challenges that uh, Christians face is, you know, uh, is the notion that not everybody is a Christian. How, why, why isn't, why don't, you know, why don't some people believe, right? And we have this misconception, of course, that if everybody just had all of the information, right? In fact, if Jesus would come and just, you know, show himself, his hands and his side, right? People would believe. Jesus responded to that and said, um, even, you know, even if Moses came back from the dead, you wouldn't believe him, right? Um, they have, these people have all of the information, all of the information they need, and they draw the wrong conclusion from it. They think he's somebody to fear and not somebody who's there to, to help them. And so they beg him to leave. I mean, it, is, it illustrates, I think, just beautifully, it illustrates well the tragedy of the parable of the sower, right? That he comes along and here's this one instance of the seed producing abundantly, but all around it, there's, there's these instances of the seed not producing anything or not producing what you hope it would produce, Okay. What else do you notice? Barb. Jesus never hesitates. He immediately cures the people or fixes them. He never, never think about this. What kind of life have you led? That's exactly right. Yeah. This gets back to what, I mean, one of the best ways to understand Jesus' character, his person, is that he sees, when he sees need, he has to respond to it. He cannot help it. In fact, this is so well uh, brought out in the, in the story of the demoniac because, I mean, notice, did you notice what happens? It was hard to hear when he said it. Here's how the story goes. Um, we get the first seven verses telling us about the demoniac. He runs up to Jesus. Immediately, this fellow ran up to Jesus. Um, nobody, and they tell us all about him. He's, nobody could bind him. Night and day, he's in the tombs. Verse 5, crying out, cutting himself. Verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he came up to him and he, he said, worshipped. Did you notice that? Worshipped. He, he fell down on his face and did obeisance, which is different than worshipping because you have faith. There's a way to do homage to somebody you know has power over you without, just like the demons do, without trusting him, right? So he, he runs up to Jesus, fell down before him and cried out in a loud voice, what have you to do with us, O son of God? And then Mark gives us this parenthetical comment, for Jesus had said to him, you know, for Jesus was saying to them, come out of the man, right? So we, ha- we have this impression at, for the first seven verses that this is all just happening to Jesus. This is all just rushing on Jesus, when in fact, Jesus has been the instigator all along. He, the reason why this fellow came running up to Jesus and is falling on his face is because Jesus saw his need and told the demons to come out of him. Um, I mean, it, it's... it's it's so striking. We heard it in Isaiah 65 this morning in the chapel. One of the, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, before they call, 
I will answer. Isaiah 65, verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. I mean, that's, that is an incredible promise. I mean, we have that promise in several ways throughout Scripture. We know that when we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes with us, groaning, with groanings, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words because we do not know what we need to pray for. So we have this promise that our prayers, uh, when we pray, God hears the prayers that we actually need. The Holy Spirit amplifies them for us. In the same way, before we even ask, just like a father knows what his son needs before he asks, the Heavenly Father does for you as well. Yes, Jody. He knows who Jesus is because Jesus is already working on him. Yeah, that's right. He wouldn't, he wouldn't know who he was. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I don't know whether you could say, you might be able to say that the demons recognize Jesus um, in a way that, that humans don't or can't, right? I mean, they're always, I mean, they, they recognize, they know everything about him, right? They're afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but 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 this fellow, um, you, you can see, you can sort of uh, get the, a sense of this, the fact that he's sort of split, you know, that he's consumed by these demons. In fact, uh, the way that the language goes, they're stepped out of the boat. A man met him on the tombs. A man with an unclean spirit. It's not literally. It says a man in an unclean spirit. So he has been consumed by this. It's not that. It's not so much. The language isn't so much that the demons consumed him, or that the demons came into him, but that he was consumed by the demons, right? Um, and, and, uh, but at the same time, you know, he's running up to Jesus, falling on his face. Sorry, Donna, you had something to say. I was, I was just running out. It was the demon that cried out with a loud voice. Yeah. There's a separation, in a sense, between the man and the Yeah, I mean... The man is not, he doesn't have faith. Is that what you were saying? The man doesn't have faith. Right. The demons know who God is, so he's calling, they're calling him the Son of the Most High. Right. Yep. So, how could this be? How could this be? Uh, yeah, right. I mean, so, again, it's like, it's like being dead, right? You're, your only hope if you're dead is for, for somebody to, walk, you can't do anything. Yeah, somebody to come along who can raise you up, who can breathe life into you. If you're possessed by demons, you're not getting out of it on your own, right? So Jesus healed him simply because he had compassion and could use this man. Yeah, he had compassion, and that and his compassion is fruitful. Yeah. yeah. This man then was able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what else do you notice? Keep going. Mary. Jesus meets chaos. With yeah, that's right. And every every one of those stories, it's chaos, and Jesus is a common. That's right. That's a great. That's that's a great uh, way to put it. And you can see this in the way that uh, we hear this story, the second story. So, um, the ruler comes to Jesus and falls down at his feet and implores him. Right. So now you've got this urgency. My daughter is at the point of death. There's urgency in the situation. She just goes with him. And what nobody wants to have happen is this interruption. The great crowd, so first of all, the great crowd comes along him, throngs about him, so he's not moving at, you know, he's not moving at a normal pace. And then everything stops because this woman touches him. And his reaction is to just take it in stride, right? In fact, um, 
in fact, you know, you might, Jesus does things in his own time. Um, and his time is always much better than, than our time. This is an answer to the, to, the, to the question about why does he acquiesce to the demons, for instance. They say, would you please do us this favor and send us into the pigs, right? In Luke, it's the alternative to being sent into the abyss, right? And, of course, he's not like, it's not like he's showing mercy to the demons. It's not time yet, right? It's not time, um, which is surprising to us because we would say, get rid of them. Right? Get rid of them right now. What's that? They did in the end. In the end. Well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's, this, here's something interesting to observe about when he has this interaction with the woman um, who touches him. You don't, you can't, you don't, you miss it in the English. Um, this right here from verse 25 all the way to right here, this is one long sentence. And it is a chain of participles. So participles are ing words, right? So it would sound something like this literally. There was a woman who, had, who, who, having a discharge of blood for 12 years and having suffered much under many physicians and having spent all that she had and being no better but rather growing worse, Having heard the reports about Jesus and coming up behind him, she touched his garments. So it's inflected a little bit different when you do it that way. So we've got, we got these seven sort of general descriptors about her. But the thing she did, we call it the finite verb. So those are all uh, not, not finite verbs. And then you get this thing she did, she touched him. She touched his garment. Uh, which is, of course... Um, what, you know, exactly what the, the impetus for talking about the, you know, why, why the Lord's Supper is such a valuable thing, because we are touching Jesus. But notice this. Um, what's unique about the way she touches him? Okay, she came behind him. Or maybe that's not the right way to, to ask the question. Um, why is the woman touching him? In order to be healed, okay, um, she was... It also seems like she's the one thinking, if I just touch his garments, I will be healed, but I really don't want anybody to see me do this. That's right. So she is, you know, another example of somebody who's ostracized. So she's, I mean, she's moving around surreptitiously in this crowd because she's unclean. She's, you know, she's out, she can't participate in the worship life of the community, and she can't touch anybody. Because if you touch anybody, you render them unclean too, right? Even just touching the fringe of their garment renders them unclean. Would that be why what I noticed was um, in King James, it said Jesus perceived his virtue. Right. Had flowed out. Yeah. That, that relates to the, so I mean, this comes from the Latin. Uncleanness? The Latin, the Latin root for power or strength is vir. It has to do with you know, a virile manliness and virtue, virtue. Um, so it's it's not it's not like in the sense that goodness had gone out of him or clean, or cleanness, but it was power. Talking about the uncleanness, is there? Yeah. Any type of connection there? I don't I don't think so. Um, it's a good question though. Have to think about it a little bit more. Think about think about. Um, 
Okay, so she, she touches him in order to be healed. What is her affect? What is she... She's sneaking. She's sneaking. Okay. In there just to... But strong belief. Strong belief. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. She's, she's faithful, right? So she's sneaking, but she's not unsure about what she's doing. She's just trying to not lay in. So, yeah, she does, she's just, this is the only way this can happen is if I sneak in there. But I got to do it because she believes that if she touches him, she will be healed. She believes that Jesus will heal her. This is, this is um, critical because it's, it would be easy to extrapolate from this and say, you know, uh, just touching Jesus does things, saves you heals you, but her, her affect, her attitude is one of faith. So she's not an unbeliever coming up to Jesus and hoping for some sort of a magical potion, right? Magi- some magical spell. She's coming up to Jesus believing that he can and will save her, right? This is, uh, this is important because, you know, for instance, when we, when we read about the Lord's Supper in the small catechism, Luther talks this way so helpfully. He says, what is required? What's required for receiving the Lord's Supper? Faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right? So this is the thing about Jesus' body and blood. If you think that they are for something else, it's actually going to hurt you, right? If you don't have faith, meaning if you don't believe that it's Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins, to save you, to help you, to make you well... It's not going to do anything for you and probably will actually kill you. That's what's so striking. I mean, Jesus is a dangerous person to be around, right? Um, not dangerous for you. Yes. No. Beth. I don't know if anybody else has heard of this singer, Dan Francisco, but he has a song and he says, and he talks about this healing, and he says, if I can get a little the woman is saying, if I can get a little closer to Jesus, everything will be all right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting, right? Um, when we, you know, want desperately to heal, we're not really healed in the way we want to Which takes us back to the story of the, the paralytic who was lowered on the mat, right? Jesus' first action for him, seeing his need, is to forgive his sins, right? The he, healing him actually comes later um, to prove that he has the, the authority to, to forgive sins, right? Nancy. What always struck me about this was that he was always in a crowd. I'm sure he was jostled. His, his disciples touched him and everything. But yet when it was healing, even though he didn't consciously turn around and say, you are healed, he knew that this lady had gotten something from him. Right, right. That's an interesting connection. It, it's just very interesting. I, you know, and I, somehow this faith makes it. Like electricity or something, it made a connection with you. Yeah. 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 I mean, we we often so in the in the West in the Western world in the in an Enlightenment context, we we sort of have done away with the idea that um, material things can transcend the material realm. Of course, we as Christians know that this is true because we eat Jesus' body and blood in the Lord's Supper. So we say we see bread and wine with our eyes. Um, but we know that they have salvation for us. So she sees the cloak of his garment 
right? The, the fringe of his garment um, with her eyes. But for her faith, she sees medicine that, you know, no doctor has been able to give her, right? Um, that's, going to bolt, that's going to come to her if only she can have contact with Jesus, right? Uh, go ahead, Donna. I was just I think maybe she realized she needed more than physical healing because um, it says in verse 33, I fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Yeah. So she was looking for maybe she felt Well, then that's interesting because, in fact, so you, when you say told him the whole truth, what does that sound like to you? Is that, can, right. Where, where, do we, where do we hear that phrase, the whole truth? In a lot, right? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It actually is, even in this context, a legal, a legal formula. The whole truth. So she comes, and um, she's throwing herself on the mercy of this judge, right? He's proven, he's shown himself to be the authority. Um, she's, not con- she's no longer concerned about the crowds who might judge her, or the community that might judge her, or the priests, or the scribes and the Pharisees. She is laying herself at the feet of Jesus. Um, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, she is a, uh, a penitent sinner, right? Um, we go to communion. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And Jesus says, your, your faith has made you well, right? Your faith receives what Jesus has given to you. Go in peace. It's done. It's, you got it. I mean, it's much simpler than anybody ever thinks it is, right? <laughs> you kneel down and you say, uh, you tell the whole truth, and Jesus says, great, go in peace. Uh, this is the great thing about, about uh, private confession and absolution, um, you know, is that it's so easy to say to ourselves, to say of ourselves, I have, I have uh, things that, you know, when we make the general confession, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess to you, we say, you know, I can say these words, but nobody has what I have, Right? Or when the pastor says, I forgive you all your sins, it's very easy in our minds to say, he's talking to all those other people, but he's not talking to me, right? This is, it's in desperate moments, that's sort of the, that it's easy to fall into that way of thinking, which is the great benefit of private confession and absolution is that there's no ambiguity, right? Jesus looks at this woman and looks in the, this woman in the eye and says to her, your faith has made you well, go in peace, which is precisely what happens when you have a pastor say to you, do you believe that my forgiveness is Christ's forgiveness? Yes, I believe. Let it be, for, let it be done for you as you believe. Um, it's it's uh, a startling, unexpected thing. What else? Anything else? Yes, Julie. Yeah. Is that the same word that daughter and the other stories? It is. And this, our two stories was to reflect each other this idea of like new life it's sandwiched. This is a, actually technically called a Markin sandwich. This is what the, the exegetes say about it. Um, there's a connection beyond just the daughter language, too. How long has the woman had a flow of blood? How old is the little girl? Twelve years, right? So here we have, um, you know, somebody, somebody who's been suffering for such a long time, um, who's, who's restored to her youth. And here we have somebody who's being deprived of her youth that Jesus is, uh, is bringing into his kingdom, right? Bringing, bringing new life to. Um, and when he says daughter, you know, it is um, it's such a rich word because he, it's the, kind of, it's the kind of language you use when um, you've got 
when you've got this acknowledged relationship. You don't just say that to anybody, but you say that to somebody who knows that you are trustworthy as a father and somebody who, for whom you wish the best, right? Somebody um, to whom you want to, want to do the best. Does that get added a little bit more? I mean, there, there is, it's, it's really well crafted. I mean, it's beautifully crafted because we see Jesus coming along and we, we have in our minds, he's going to heal this little girl. We know that this is good. We, we've seen this before. We know he wants to heal. She's sick. It's great. She's on the edge of, she's on the edge of death and he's going to go and save her. But then he gets, in, he gets interrupted in such a dramatic way and we're distracted for a moment by somebody on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Um, somebody who's being proactive and coming to him um, but, but equally in, in, you know, in need of his compassion. Um, and when that story's all done, the other story has been proceeding. You know, it's, it, didn't pa- it didn't pause, and now she's dead, right? Um, which gives the opportunity for this even more dramatic display of his, his power. Kathy. Uh, it's interesting to me that in the three instances that it's Jesus' authority that is recognized just in different ways, and in each way, somebody fell on their knees in front of them. The, basically, the demons forced the man on his knees. Yeah. Uh, the woman had to go down on her knees to touch his garment, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And Jairus comes to him publicly, yeah. which would be, to me, a dangerous thing to do, because he's a ruler in the synagogue, and he's coming to Jesus and recognizing him publicly as an authority. That's right. And it's, yeah. I don't know, it's just, it's an interesting thing to see that demons and just regular people and then yeah. rulers can recognize his authority. That's right. And, and so it tells, you, it tells you that confession goes along with faith, right? So when Jesus says to the man who's been healed of the demon, go and tell them what, what I've done for you, he's not like, ah, you know, they're not going to like that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't like talking to my neighbors. He, he, he goes and he does it, right? There's no, there's no like, hesitancy. This flows out of his faith. He, this man, you know, took 2,000 demons out of me. 6,000 if you go with the literal, you know, definition of what a legion is, right? Um, I was done for. Can't help but tell everybody. And the same thing, the, Jairus is such a great example of being in such desperate need, Right? When you are in such desperate need and, you call, and you're calling out in faith, um, that, is, that is your confession. This is exactly what Jesus wants to hear, that you need him and that you expect him to give you good things. So he puts other people, he doesn't want anybody else in the room yeah. except certain people because he wants to, it seems like he wants to leave unbelief outside. Yes. In fact, the language that he uses, this is, again, uh, it's such well-crafted um, narrative here. Where is it? Um, you got the people weeping and wailing loudly who are probably professional mourners, right? So they don't really, they don't have much stake in this game, and which also you notice because, like, they immediately start laughing, right? There's not real tears because as soon as Jesus says, she's just sleeping, they start laughing at him, okay? But he put them all outside, which is not dramatic enough language. He, ca- he cast them out. He exorcised them. Same language that you use when you cast out a demon. He cast them out, um, because they, they don't believe, right? They, they've, uh, they've heard his word, but having ears, having heard his word, they have not perceived, they have not understood. Um, 
Yeah. It's notable. Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Okay. I just want to say, you know, observe this also about the flow of Mark. Jesus, Jesus deals with three, three really big opponents here, right? So the devil, the demons, uncleanness, right? So it, the woman can't participate in the life, the worship of the community. She's not privy to God's gifts because of her uncleanness. And then finally, death. Death, death for us is the one that really, you know, is the big, the, the capstone. Um, but each of these, in their own way, carries a, t- a ton of weight. Um, for, for anybody who takes seriously the influence of the devil in, in the world, having somebody who can command the demons is crucial, right? Otherwise, you are just subject to the whims of evil in the world. Uh, and this gets back to what Jesus said. Remember when they accused him of, Casting out demons by the prince of demons, he gives this parable of binding the strong man. The the, the demoniac story um, is a direct answer to that because, of course, what's what about this man as he's in as in the tombs? Nobody can bind him, right? They tie him up with chains, and he's too strong for anybody. He bursts the chains, right? He is the prime example of somebody whose house you cannot plunder, right? The demons have such control over the world that you cannot plunder their house until Jesus comes along and does precisely what nobody else can do um, and precisely what he said needed to be done in order to save the world from the influence of Satan um, and from death. Jody. So why didn't he just cast them out? Why did he put them in the pit? Because it wasn't, it wasn't time to just... So for one thing, if he just sets them loose in the world, they'll, go some, they'll find another home, right? Um, beyond that, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that it's reasonable to... I think, I think that Jesus is provocative and um, he, by sending the demons into the pigs, he destroys these people's livelihood, right? I mean, I think, I think it, it wouldn't be going too far to say that he does that deliberately, right? It wouldn't be too far to say you're saying Jesus is a sense of humor. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it, letting the guy, letting the demons have their way. Right. Please put us in the pigs. Uh huh. And he does, and then they drown. Then they drown. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, funny, but I mean, you say that when. Yeah. You know, things happen. You say, "Well, Jesus." Jesus has a sense of humor. That's right. Yeah. Um, it wasn't funny to the, to the townspeople, but for the rest of us who know the whole story, it is. Yeah. Right. Aaron. Um, I guess my question is. And the disciples, right? So then it's like, how do we get, how, how do we reconcile that? Yeah. My faith isn't good enough. That's, that's, it isn't. That's exactly right. So, so you know, the answer should be, well, Jesus is the one that's doing the work. Jesus saves you. But, but sometimes then you get something like this, and I feel like, we're being saved, or I don't you know what I'm Right. So, so, you know, her faith is not, so she has a magnificent faith, an exemplary faith. 
And I think you can, in, in the one instance, you just look at it and you say, that would be wonderful. I wish, I pray that God would give me faith like that, right? But then the consolation throughout the book of Mark, Mark is all about the oligopistoi, the one, the, those of little faith, the little faith people is what he, the technical term, right? So the disciples in the boat, I mean, you heard the story last time, right? Have you still no faith, right? You, you, don't you care that we are perishing, they say, which is exactly what we say. Don't you care that things are not, that things are awful? Um, and, uh, th- I mean, their faith is miserable. In the same way, then, later, I mean, Jesus curses the fig tree. This is a startling story. He curses the fig tree, and the disciples say, uh, they come back later and they find the fig tree's been withered, and the disciples say, isn't that fantastic? You, you cursed it, and now it's dead, as if he hadn't been just, you know, hadn't raised this girl from the dead chapters before, right? Or fed the 5,000 people. They're just constantly surprised by the good things that he does. And he says to them what, you know, is the basis for every name it and claim it prosperity gospel kind of a thing. If you have, if you, you have faith, a tiny faith, and you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and you believe it in your heart, it will happen, right? He says that to them. And so, you know, we sort of furrow our brows and we say, okay, this chair is going out that door right now. And it doesn't happen, right? I don't have, I don't have that kind of faith. Um, the story of the Gospel of Mark is Jesus giving us faith. Um, we see all along the way these saints who, in whom Jesus has perfected the work that he's promised to do, right? So this woman is, that's where we're headed, that's where, that's where he's taking us. Um, the promise for us is that he's given us ears to hear him. He's given us his words, and he's given us his body and blood to touch. Um, and we do it knowing that the tiniest bit of faith that's his gift to us, you know, that, that um, is not confident, that is, that is uh, desperate and hopeful, um, is, is exactly what he promises is going to blossom into a mustard, into, into the biggest tree that grows in the garden, right? That's his, that's his promise. Um, if, if, you know, we don't get there until the resurrection. This is, this is the trouble with being a Christian, <laughs> is that you don't, you don't get to be satisfied until the resurrection. Um, the good news is that everything that happens along the way is taking you there. Everything that happens along the way is Jesus drawing you in that direction. Beth, did you, go ahead. No, that absolutely. Um, the the key, I think, is not to be. I mean, it really does come down to this uh, conflict between despair and faith. These these moments when we say, "This is all just this is God doesn't do anything for me," or "God's not doing for me what I really need," 
Those are the moments where, um, you know, a petition to God, prayer, calling on his name, um, especially when you don't feel like it, right? Especially when uh, it seems to be counterproductive, especially, which is, of course, the way the kingdom of God works, right? You do the thing that's not going to produce the results that you expect. Um, it's what he wants us to do. And, I mean, that is the character of faith, then, to do it, to do it anyway, even though it looks like it's not going to work, right? Bob, did you have your hand up? Well, kind of along those lines, I think I find a dilemma when I pray for something that I really honestly pray for, but then I say the words, thy will be done. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's not going to happen to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you left it up to him again. That's right. Yeah. And, and then I feel okay, but you're supposed to keep Adam and Adam and Adam like this. Yeah. You know, the, to, to get the bread from your neighbor, you just keep more. Than yeah. That yeah. I mean, I. Th- I supposed to keep Adam and Adam, but if it's not his will, what good does it do to keep Adam and Adam? And Adam? So, and th- and that's that's a great a great illustration because so don't discount like the the ways that things actually really practically work on you. So, what happens if you end every prayer with thy, but Thy will be done, but you but you say you know what I'm positive that this is the best thing, and you keep praying it. Either you find out that it was the best thing. Or in the course of having your prayers answered the way you don't want them to be answered, you learn uh, to put your trust in God's goodness, right? It actually does form you. I mean, this is why Paul says, pray without ceasing. Um, because it's, you don't learn anything by just you know, tossing up a prayer every now and again, here and there. You don't learn anything. But you do learn something by actually wrestling with God. Um, it's painful. The lessons are... Uh, you know, they're not the lessons you want to learn. <laughs> Nathaniel, I said, Nathaniel, can you please read the, the story out of your story Bible? And he goes, well, I, I, I can't watch TV this week anyway, so what's the point? Like, so, his, so he has to read it before he watches TV, watches an episode of TV. But I lost TV, so what's, what's the point? And then he, then he thought for a second, he said, oh, shoot, that's the, <laughs> that's the wrong. And I said, well, why should you read it anyways? He goes, well, it's, not, it's certainly not fun. Why would I do it? Because it's fun. It's not, it's not fun. I'm not going to do it. Um, and so, you know, this is, a, this is a lesson that we learn at every stage of life, whether you're seven years old or whether you're 77 years old, right, that um, doing, doing the things that uh, have been given to you to do by somebody who knows better than you um, Learning to do that when, even when it's not fun or when it doesn't seem like it's going to pay off is actually good. It's actually good. That's a lesson that you spend your whole life learning. This is just, this is, that's what faith is, right? Aaron, you had an, an, your hand up again. No? Okay. Jody? No, I was just going to say that I, I think I'm with Aaron on that, that I just have a hard time sometimes with that. And I think it's part of it is because I go back to being a nurse. Well, you do this, then this happens. That's right. You do this, then this happens. So then... Where faith comes in, you don't always have that cause and effect. Right. Or at least you don't see the cause and effect. And um, I have to really, uh, it, I still struggle with that, even though I know yeah. it's not doing it all. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so, and I think that one of our weaknesses is that so often, so Jesus gives us, he tells us very specific things to do. Like, when you pray, pray like this. When you, when you want to, if you want to know how to pray, pray my father, pray, pray this prayer, right? Um, and we, in, in, that, in the process of doing what Jesus tells us to do, we interject all kinds of other things that we think we should do to help ourselves out along the way, right? That's right. Yeah. This is, this I need done because, you know, God, this is really. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah. <laughs> to, which, to which God replies, when you get my stuff right, then we'll talk about your stuff, okay? When you, when you succeed in doing my stuff, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, this is how it goes, okay? When you, and, and, I mean, that is, I mean, it is, it, it, takes the, it takes the rug right out from under you, which is exactly what Jesus wants, right? He wants you, he wants you, um, so you need to rely on him. I mean, that's what the story is all about, yeah. Carol. Uh, question. In uh, verse 28, when the woman says, you know, I touch your garment, I will be made well. Yeah. In Greek, is there, is there any indication in that that it may be she, the well may yeah. not bodily well? It's ambiguous at Best. The word is sozo, which is the same word that he uses when he says, your faith has made you well later. Often translated as, your faith has saved you. Okay, So the word is talks both about physical wellness. So you, if you've been healed of a disease, you are saved. But it's also the word that you get when, when Mark says, whoever believes and is baptized will be sozo, saved. Um, so it's ambiguous at, at best. I mean, I think that we, it, it doesn't do any doesn't do any damage to the story or to her faith if you say she's all, she's really only interested in having her having her illness cured, um, and that's okay. This is what she this is what she needs. This is what she's after, and Jesus wants to give that to her. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just thinking also, you know, expanding. It do, and that's exactly right. Yeah, right, right, and that's, I mean, and that's what, that's, the word, the word is expansive like that. So you ask for one thing, and Jesus has a way of in, reinterpreting the words that you use, right? You said you wanted me to save you. Okay, I'm going to save you now, right? We should go. It's 1030. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good work, guys.